Hey everyone, what's going on? My name is DJ and this is the Restaurant Growth Podcast brought to you by Seven Shifts. On this show, we sit down with the best minds in hospitality, bringing you new insights and the big ideas that help your restaurant grow. We're chatting ghost kitchens again this week, this time with Alex Cantor, founder and CEO at NextBite. Alex is a fourth generation restaurateur at Cantor's, the famous Los Angeles deli, and he was very early on the delivery and virtual restaurant game. We chat about his experience adding delivery to a legendary brand and his early successes with virtual restaurants. And it's that experience that led Alex to create NextBite, which helps restaurants reach more customers with their virtual brands. But what goes into that? From creating brands to what it looks like to implement that, we cover all of that in this episode and more. I had a great time chatting with Alex, and I hope you'll learn as much as I did about virtual restaurants. Also, got to admit, I never thought I'd talk about fax machines in relation to quote-unquote online ordering, so you have to listen to find out exactly what that is. With that, here's my chat with Alex. Alex, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely. how are you doing? <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. End of the day for me over here. I know it's still the afternoon uh, over there for you, uh, but really excited to chat today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Alex Kanner joins us on the show today. And as we just kick it off, tell us how you got started in the restaurant hospitality business. Yeah, so you know my, my story is definitely a unique one. I grew up as the fourth generation of a, of a famous Jewish deli in Los Angeles called Cantor's Deli. 24-hour operation, uh, one of the oldest and largest restaurants in all of LA. And just like my father and my grandfather who worked there their entire lives, and you know my dad's still there seven days a week, wow. I started working in the restaurant at a very young age, waiting tables at 12 years old, worked my way through various positions across the restaurant, basically became in charge of a bringing in all things new and trying to adapt the business for the next generation, just yeah. like everyone else in my family. And so I, I kind of got uh, thrown into the deep end of like figuring out how, how restaurants work. And I used to run around to restaurant expos, like a kid in a candy store, <laughs> signing up for all sorts of uh, new technology and you know, marketing tools and you know, ways to reach new customers, automation in the kitchen and all sorts of, ways to operate better and I've always been very passionate about restaurants Um, I'm a big foodie I love going out to eat you know food has always been uh, restaurants have always been in my blood and I've I kind of got that unique experience growing up in the the family business so that's very cool and yeah I mean Canners is is legendary and um, you know I know I know you've written stories down in your book but just curiously what were some of those favorite memories um, or maybe just a favorite story growing up working working at the restaurant yeah, you know, growing up with the last name Cantor, whenever I would meet people, or even at the restaurant, whenever people would find out, oh, you're part of the Cantor family, like, I've got to tell you this story, or, you know, you've got to hear this, like, thing that happened to me. Um, and it's not just customers, but, you know, the employees, celebrities, all sorts of, of, of people who have been going to Cantor's over the years, they all have these, like, crazy experiences that happen to them at two in the morning after yeah. a concert, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, someone who like grew up going there with their family. Now they take their family. There's just all these uh, amazing memories. But one of the, you know, my sister and I started collecting all these memories, um, letting people submit their 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 stories at the restaurant over the years. We ended up compiling all of them and, and picking our favorite ones and putting them into this book called Stories on Rye. And one of my favorite stories, it's, it's kind of a 
there, there's some fun ones for sure. But uh, one of my favorite ones was there's this family that got separated in the Holocaust, oh, wow. which was obviously very intense. Um, but they ended up finding each other 35 years later at Cantor's, like, they were, like at a table and saw somebody at another table that looked like their their family and they like went over and introduced themselves and it was like the first time they connected and so many years later so just really incredible memories and experiences and you know just uh, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in those four walls <laughs> yeah. over the last 90 years as, as you can imagine so yeah i mean that's that's incredible that's like you know i mean I don't even know, like, there's no words to describe that kind of experience. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's a testament to just like the hospitality business, I think, and, and how much it, and how much restaurants really mean to people and all of that. But curious, you know, you mentioned kind of inside the four walls, but a lot of the work that you did was kind of taking canners outside of those four walls, right? So it's like, you know, I was reading that you decided to implement online ordering about, about 10 years ago, I think uh, it was, you know, and that's very different for restaurants that have been a around for a long time. Like I remember here comparably, you know, like when Katz is in New York started doing delivery, it was like very odd to me at first. I was like, that's, <laughs> that doesn't seem right. Right. But curious about that experience. And like, was there any initial pushback with that or like some setbacks and those challenges about, um, you know, bringing online ordering to kind of a legendary brand like that? Historically, delivery um, was very focused around pizza or Chinese food. Those are kind of like the two main genres and categories of food that was meant to be delivered. And, and they had their own delivery drivers and all that. But then all of a sudden, these like platforms and apps and marketplaces started opening up that were like, we want to sell your food on our website and you know, we'll help you reach customers who live within you know, a couple of miles of delivery radius of your location. And we, we've always you know, heard from our customers like, oh, when are you going to open in downtown LA or when are you going to open one on the west side? Because like, you know, we can't drive over here all the time, but we'd love to eat your food all the time. And, and this was kind of a, a way for us to, to, to experience that and reach customers outside of our four walls for the first time. And really in 2008, 2009, when the recession hit, our foot traffic had declined pretty steeply. We, we had probably a 15% decrease in foot traffic during oh, that wow. time. So we were forced to figure out new ways to reach customers. It, it was kind of this uh, you know, moment of like adapt or die, like figure yep. out how to, how to sell more food. And so some of the earliest platforms, uh, E24, you know, LA Byte, which was local to LA, and then Grubhub and DoorDash and Postmates, they all started kind of rolling out over, over a couple of years time. And every time that we listed canters on one of these delivery apps, we realized we were reaching, you know, a whole new set of customers who use those platforms. Um, if we weren't listed on DoorDash, for example, we just didn't exist to all the people who use DoorDash in LA. So our, our initial reaction was like, let's put the restaurant to be available on all of these platforms if it's going to bring an extra 10, 20 orders in every day. Right. And um, let's start layering them in. That became a huge sector of growth for us you know, over, over a very short amount of time from 2014, 15, 16. Delivery for the business had grown to become almost a third of our revenue, which was wow. you know, millions of dollars a year just on these delivery apps. You know, there are obviously some challenges with that because all these companies, they take, you know, they take significant fees, but um, also there's a lot of cost savings when somebody's not coming into your restaurant, you know, they're not taking up a parking spot. They're not getting refills on drinks. They're not getting 
you know, there's no dishes to clean. There's like a lot of efficiencies that come with delivery. So we, yep. we really leaned into it. Um, I think pe- consumers were, were very excited to be able to order our food on these delivery apps, like matzo ball soup was our top seller by far. Yeah. And that was not something that was probably very popular or available on delivery until we we did yeah. it. So, um, we were we were definitely early on um, in the game, and I think uh, that helped us become one of the top performing restaurants on these delivery platforms very quickly. And uh, I think people were generally you know excited that they could even get that kind of food on these delivery apps. So that that was kind of the history of how how we really leaned into that. Yeah, that's very cool. And I imagine, yeah, like on, on a on a sick day or something, having that, that matzo ball soup delivered is like something that people probably didn't even know they wanted, right? But, but. <laughs> yes, we call it Jewish penicillin. Yes. But that's interesting you say too. A lot, I mean, a lot of people complain. I don't want to say complain, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of negative emotions in the restaurant industry towards uh, delivery apps and, and the fees. And something you mentioned is like, yeah, well, there actually are benefits to it because, you know, like you said, no parking, no dishes. There's kind of a flip side to that, that like, there are positives to delivery um, that you can kind of, you know, serve more people than your restaurant would hold, as long as I think your kitchen can handle it. And our, our kitchen is set up to crank out a, t- a lot of food, like we yeah. have a, pretty, a pretty big operation. And there are a lot of times of the day that we're slow being a 24 hour business, you know, yeah. on a weeknight. You know, at, at one in the morning, there's not a lot of people in the restaurant, but there are a lot of people who are, you know, ordering delivery still. And if you're one of the options available at that time, I think, you know, you're, you're reaching all this new volume and demand that you wouldn't otherwise have if you weren't on these platforms. Absolutely. And so did that experience, is that kind of, is that what spurred you to go and start OrderMark? Yeah, you know, we... As we added all these different delivery apps into the restaurant, each one of those platforms was designed independently. Mm. Um, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, they all had their own hardware and device to manage, which meant we had nine tablets, two laptops, and a fax machine to manage all those incoming orders. So we were definitely struggling to, uh, to keep up and to operate and like, you know, we would have to manually write down the orders off of like on a piece of paper, writing it from the screen and then go run into the kitchen and have them make the food and then send it out to the right driver. We were constantly having these issues where we had to refund food. We were sending the, the food out to the wrong order. We were missing modifiers and substitutions. And there was no real flow to the orders coming in. And it, it seemed, you know, pretty, and it, it seemed like a pretty bad process in general for the restaurant experience but because all these apps were independently designed they weren't really thinking of you know how they would operate with each other in mind right and that's like you know 14 different menus that have to be updated and managed 14 different reporting structures and payout schedules and it was definitely a a big lift to, to take that on and so in 2017 as delivery volume was continuing to rise and become a growing percentage of the overall business we wanted to really take a step back and reimagine that whole online ordering experience in the restaurant kitchen and, and give you know, restaurants a, an easy way to manage their entire off-premise business from, from a single device in their kitchen. Yeah, um, I had come across these uh, entrepreneurs, a group of entrepreneurs in LA that we kind of all put our heads together and said, can we solve this problem through technology and can we potentially, you know, partner with all these delivery apps to aggregate the incoming order information and standardize it and print it out into these tickets that make it really easy for restaurants to just put their heads down and make food, which is what they do best. 
yeah. not think about all the logistics involved. And that was really, you know, where, where it all started in 2017. We, we founded uh, originally the company, which is called, which was called Order Mark, now rebranded to Nextbyte. Yeah. Um, but Order Mark really started in in the actual kitchen at Cantor's. We, we is where we were testing and trying to figure out how to simplify this. And uh, once we had built the MVP version of that product, um, which took you know a, a while to figure out, we messed up a lot of orders to get there. <laughs> so we got to build it in a real high stress test environment. Because of that, you know, it was already designed and, and ready to, to to work with a you know high volume environment. And the first you know, 10, 20, 30 restaurants that. Um, we brought it into outside of Cantor's. They were all like, oh my gosh, this is so valuable for us. Can we, like, how, how can we, now that we have this one system, how can we plug in all of the revenue streams? How can we be on every platform? Um, because now that you're making it so easy, like now we can take in as many orders as, as, we'll, as we can get. So, yeah, you know, we, we, we really, originally we were trying to solve this like problem of like making it easier to manage the incoming orders. But what we didn't realize when we were starting was like, we were actually enabling restaurants to take more orders by, by giving them this system and then plugging them into all these new revenue channels. So that was that was kind of an interesting learning as we were first yeah. starting. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like underestimated how much time it takes just to manage the incoming stuff, especially if you have, I mean, even like two tablets is like, you have things coming from two places, right? But yeah, like what I you said, nine, nine, two laptops. Are, yeah. are you still taking fax orders? <laughs> you know, there are still some catering platforms out there. Like, uh, you know, there's a lot of these like third-party catering sites, Easy Cater, yeah. Zero Cater, Choose Meal Pal, Eat Club. Um, there, there's so many um, services that are, that will basically like put your brand on their platform and then send you an order. And with, with catering, it's a little bit more complicated. So we, yeah. we sometimes prefer just to receive a fax of the order um, <laughs> when we, when we need notice to like be able to make a big catering order. So I do, I do, uh, I believe we're still taking some orders from fax, but not on any of the third party deliveries. Okay. I was going to say, but that's like, that's like, just like all the revenue streams, right? It's like, we even do fax. It's just... <laughs> Oh, well, it's crazy. You would be surprised how many fax machines there still are in restaurants. Like when yeah. we first started scaling order mark and partnering with hundreds and then thousands of, of mom and pop businesses around the U.S., we were we were killing fax machines. <laughs> we, were, we were going in and saying, "You can unplug your fax machine now, and now you're set up on this new device." <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, you would think that that that's a technology that would have been phased out of restaurants years ago, but it's. There's still a lot of restaurants with fax machines in them. So, yeah, I think uh, maybe it'll be a blog post uh, on Seven Shifts incoming about why you need to plug your back fax machine back in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you capitalizing on this old school revenue machine? Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, was it around that time too um, that you kind of got into the virtual restaurant uh, uh, game? You know, the the first foray into into virtual restaurants was really in 2018 okay which was about a year after we started scaling up order marketing the the underlying technology of aggregating all the different delivery apps into a single manageable device in the kitchen was kind of what opened up this opportunity to like not just aggregate multiple ordering streams but aggregate multiple menus on multiple ordering streams also into that same device right 
And it started actually in, in Cantor's. We, we had launched, um, that was an experiment. I, I had kind of put together this, uh, this brand that I thought could work well on delivery apps, all centered around grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah. Um, it was called Grilled Cheese Heaven at the time. I think I spent five minutes making a logo <laughs> and you know, just <laughs> kind of scrapped together some fun grilled cheese sandwiches that had used ingredients that we already had in the kitchen of Cantor's yeah. using the Cantor's challah bread, which is great for grilled cheeses. I put it on Postmates, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub um, as like this new restaurant, essentially. Yeah. But the pickup address for the driver was just 419 North Fairfax, which is Cantor's Deli. Yeah. And we were blown away by the, the results of that experiment. I think in the first year we did about 30 orders a day on grilled cheese wow. heaven without any website, Instagram marketing, you know, marketing budget, um, just by putting this brand on the platforms and making it as an option available to, to consumers, people were ordering grilled cheese heaven like crazy. And I added it, it added an extra quarter million dollars a year of incremental revenue into the, into the business without wow. us having to have any, extra labor or extend hours like we're already a 24 7 business with, with the labor you know in in the kitchen this is just adding an extra you know 30 orders a day into, into the business so that extra revenue was very high profit margin because it was incremental yeah and it was basically an aha moment of like oh my gosh like we are uniquely positioned with this technology that we built um, to go into restaurants that have underutilized capacity in their kitchen and light them up with all these new orders from a new menu or new brand um, that is yeah. you know straightforward and easy for them to execute. We we started to work on NextBite as originally like this product upsell into the into the order mark you know restaurant going yeah. into a restaurant saying hey you already have this device in your kitchen that's aggregating your orders. Do you want to also sell wings? Do you want to also sell chicken sandwiches? Do you want to, you know, as long as the ratings are good, the price value equation is good and the food is, you know, the food is good, then they're going to keep coming back and keep ordering from it. So it was a really kind of new, new idea. It was, it was right at the time that there were a lot of, there was a lot of investment going into building out traditional ghost kitchens, which are basically facilities food facilities that are specifically designed for delivery businesses yeah and that's more of like a real estate play where you're adding new kitchens new real estate etc which which has you know some some downside because there's all these incremental costs there is incremental rent and labor and equipment and all of that um, but instead of instead of going down that path we were like wait a second there are already you know eight hundred thousand restaurants in the u.s um, most of which have slow parts of the day, slow days of the week that we can help drive incremental order volume into. Let's focus on, on the underutilized capacity of these restaurants, design concepts specifically to be living on top of these existing businesses, and then go, go scale that. So we, we really started to double down on NextBite, building these new brands and putting them into the back of other people's restaurants throughout 2019, not knowing that a pandemic was coming. <laughs> um, but in, in right. when that pandemic happened and in March of 2020, 
you know, everyone had to shut down their dining room. And all of a sudden, every restaurant had more excess capacity than ever before, as if they, they you know, they already had excess capacity, but this was like on another level. And we yeah. had, you know, hundreds and then thousands of restaurants scrambling to figure out how to, how to drive extra orders into their kitchens, not only, you know, lighting that, their own brand up on all the delivery apps and then using our software, but then also learning like, oh my gosh, there's a way to sell more food through a new brand. Like, we'll take it, we'll try it. And we had restaurants that we never thought would be a candidate for this signing up and, and selling burgers out the back door, like steakhouses, <laughs> mission yeah. restaurants, yeah, everything from coffee shops to fine dining to, to QSR, or just restaurant owners realizing like, I can sell more food out of my kitchen. Why would I not do that? And, and you know, picking a handful of our brands to be able to do that with was sometimes the difference of these restaurants keeping their doors open or not, or keeping their staff employed or not. And we heard over and over again throughout the pandemic, if it weren't for the incremental revenue of these new virtual restaurants that you're helping bring into our kitchen, you know, we would not be in business at, at this moment in time. So that was a really you know, motivating factor yeah. for our team and, and for all of us to like really lean in and be like, oh my gosh, this, this is the most meaningful thing that we could be doing for restaurants at this time. Let's go all in on this. Let's make sure that we're giving this our best effort and, and putting you know, the best possible brands into these kitchens and marketing them and um, helping, helping drive as many incremental orders into these kitchens as we can. That's when we started doing some really interesting stuff, like partnering with celebrities to co-create brands together. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that was, you know, the first, the first brand that we had launched in the celebrity world was actually with Wiz Khalifa. Um, that yeah. 35 at the time he had 35 million Instagram followers, which is a pretty, pretty captive audience. And the brand that we created, uh, you know, with him was, was all about stoner food. It was called hot box by yeah. Wiz Khalifa. It had a hot Cheeto mac and cheese bites, and, you know, all this food that would sound amazing after you're, after you, <laughs> you know, after you're a little high <laughs> or yeah. a little bit. And, uh, and we, we started partnering with restaurants all across the U S mom and pop businesses saying, carry these ingredients, make the food this way, put this hot box sticker on the bag and, you know, Wiz Khalifa will promote this on his, on, on out of, out of his own influence. And he was posting yep. about it and driving all this traffic. And we had this one restaurant in Pittsburgh, which is his hometown, Wiz's hometown that became a fulfillment partner for this brand. And they were doing at one point over a hundred orders a day on this new concept, um, which yep. is, which is crazy. That's way more than what they were doing for their own restaurant. Um, makes a ton of sense when you have these celebrities, you know, behind it and, and using their uh, their built-in audience to to to, to market to it. It just uh, you know it's a, it's a natural partnership and great fit, and it's, it it became an, an even better way for us to send more orders into these restaurant kitchens. So as that kind of evolved in 2020, we ended up um, getting a lot of inbound interest from investment groups that wanted to accelerate our ambitions with Nextbyte. Yeah. Ended up coming in and leading a, a big round of financing for us, um, where we brought in $120 million into the, into the business to really accelerate everything that was going on in the next fight world. Of course, the underlying technology of Ordermark is, is kind of the foundation of our business. And it's what allows yeah. us 
to drive these incremental orders into these kitchens without disrupting their operations. But but really the, the emphasis of that investment was let's go, you know, bring these brands and put them in as many restaurants as we can to help drive all that incremental order volume. And uh, as a result of that, we ended up pivoting pretty, pretty intensely to focus on the next bite side of the business, um, even rebranding the, the entire organization and company to be called Next Bite at the end of 2021. So that was kind of the, the driver behind that change. Very cool. And something I'm curious about is like building these these virtual brands, you know, like you mentioned grill, grilled cheese. Uh, what was it? it was gr- grilled cheese heaven yep. you know and like you know with your experience with with canters and and having such that strong brand that was like built over the course of of decades really and just like like it like you know has a book written of stories <laughs> about it you know how do you go into then building these newer brands I mean, like what is that experience like having to kind of build those up um, and get people excited about them yeah a- excellent question so you know, if, if you think about a virtual restaurant, it's kind of like an e-commerce brand yeah. where there's no physical storefronts, no history, no brick and mortar presence, no like, you know, sign that people are driving by or a brand that people are familiar with. But if, if you think about, um, you know, online shopping and retail, the, the kind of evolution and, and journey where that started, there were all of these physical stores that, you know, we're 100% foot traffic driven and like people coming into the store, hundred percent of their volume was happening in store. And then once people started to, to get used to shopping online, all of these businesses had to scramble to implement online ordering and the ability to reach customers outside of their four walls. And then a percentage of their overall volume grew to be digital and still predominantly in store. But then once, once people, you know, we're, we're really accustomed to shopping online. There were these brands that were emerging that only existed online. They had no physical storefronts and they were just doing digital marketing and all these um, tactics to, to target people on social media and creating new products and services that, that were gaps in the market and marketing it to all these consumers and, and consumers didn't really care that like there was no physical storage for these brands. They were just like, oh, I want to buy these shoes. Or I want to buy you know, this pair of sunglasses, like Warby Parker, Bonobos, Nasty Gal, all these companies were e-commerce brands to start where they basically were just selling products and services online. And of course, there's a big digital strategy that comes with that. So we're we're kind of looking at that same model, but, but in the restaurant space, there's all these consumers who are now used to shopping online for food through their favorite delivery apps, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, and when you create brands and put them on these platforms and maximize the SEO of the digital real estate and, and are doing all the traditional digital marketing things to get people excited to try these, these new brands, it, it really is, is a pretty similar experience to what happened in online shopping. And a lot of the brands that we've created, we have to build a website, build an Instagram account, build a social media following the same way that you would for a physical store our physical restaurant, you know, a lot of that stuff still applies. It's just like a, a new approach and a new version of that. And I think consumers are getting more and more used to the fact that like, they don't really care if there's a, you know, when you order something online on Amazon, you're not questioning like what warehouse is this coming out <laughs> or what part of the country right. is this even coming out of? It just shows up in a box right. and if it, if it's what you wanted it like to be, then great. You're going to give it a good rating. 
all of that. And, and when people order from a virtual brand, I don't even, you know, maybe at first when they, when they first were ordering, they were like, is this even a real restaurant? This is confusing. I don't understand what's going on. And, and over the last few years, I think we've already moved through a lot of that consumer confusion to like, oh yeah, this is just a, you know, a restaurant brand. Right. People aren't questioning, like, is it virtual? Is it real? It's just a rep. It's a menu. It's a restaurant option on these, these different platforms. And, and we've, we've kind of followed that path, but you know, when I was telling the story of grilled cheese heaven at Cantor's, we just uploaded this menu and this logo and it started selling right away. Those days are yep. over. <laughs> like there, right. you know, there are so these apps have gotten so crowded with the amount of restaurants that have signed up and the amount of restaurants that have figured out that they could be running multiple brands on, on these platforms. You can no longer just upload a menu with a logo and expect to get 20, 30 orders a day. Um, without a big right. digital marketing strategy and sort of the, you know, understanding of throttling promotions and sponsored listings and buy one, get one free and, and taking the foot off the gas of free delivery and going back on. Like there's a whole strategy that makes that flywheel go. And that's something that we as an organization have gotten a, a ton of experience with because we've now launched thousands of virtual restaurants onto these platforms. Um, so we've, we've, we've kind of learned that iteration of like what works, what doesn't work. And we've built these really big relationships with DoorDash, with Uber Eats, with Grubhub to not just um, understand how, how these, these businesses work, but to actually help create a better ecosystem and environment for virtual brands and restaurants and even helping educate the consumer of like what is a virtual restaurant. Um, you know, just because there isn't a physical storefront doesn't mean it's not going to be amazing food we actually get to build brands that are specifically right. optimized and designed for a delivery experience which is unique in itself because most restaurants have to take what they're already doing in store and create a version of it for online when you're stuck with like taking something that people are expecting to be able to buy online there's not a ton of flexibility um, in terms of like making menu changes like if you're going to order mcdonald's on uber eats like you know, French fries, all of that stuff is going to be on the menu, but French fries generally do not hold up well on delivery. Yeah. But when you're creating a burger brand from scratch, that's specifically designed to be a virtual restaurant and specifically optimized for that arrival experience, you can choose on day one to not even put French fries on, on the menu at all and do tater tots instead, which even if yeah. you sit in a car for a half hour, they might not be hot, but they'll still be crispy. And maybe there's right. reheating instructions on the bag of you know how to heat up the, the tater tots in the most optimal way because we can be really intentional about that uh, that kind of you know delivery optimized experience. So. Absolutely. So kind of taking a cue from like not so much taking a cue, recognizing I think that they're different from a traditional restaurant brand, um, a brick and mortar restaurant brand, and taking more of a cue from that DTC brand and creating something that is meant to be online first. And I think, you know, it seems like what you're doing is, is helping restaurants do that so they don't have to go to square one when they say, I want to start maximizing my revenue streams and kind of building the, these virtual brands that they can use. Yeah, and it, it really is a pretty big learning curve. I think a lot of restaurants are thinking to themselves like, oh, I could just launch my own virtual restaurant. And we actually encourage restaurants to try it and do it and, and see what it's like for them because... Yeah. You know, it, they might be able to get a couple orders a day if, if they know what they're doing, but 
then they start to realize like, oh my gosh, I need like a cohesive marketing strategy. Right. And I have a whole business around. So it makes a lot of sense to partner with a, with a, a third-party virtual restaurant company um, to, to tap into their existing resources. The same way that when you're a restaurant, let's say you're a restaurateur and you're passionate about, you want to open a restaurant, you can either start from ground zero and create a new brand and you have to get you know signage done and menus printed and display screens and pick a POS system and you know make all these these decisions and invest all this money and you hope that it works out or you can actually become a franchisee of a proven system that's already out there and decide to instead of opening up Joe's sandwich shop you can open up a Subway sandwich shop and on day one they're sending you all the stuff that you need to put on the door and the menus and you know, you're buying into this proven system that already comes with a certain amount of interest and demand, and there's a, a national marketing strategy already behind it. So the restaurant tour is not necessarily responsible to, to figure out marketing because they're buying into a proven system. So it's kind of like the next generation of franchising. And when you're a mom and pop business and you get to like tap into the to the celebrity marketing power of Wiz Khalifa, like that's a pretty powerful thing for a mom and pop business that they would not be able to do on their own. They can't just go and partner with Louis Khalifa and co-create a right. brand together, but but they can tap into the system by becoming the fulfillment partner of, a, of the Hotbox brand. Right. It's almost, it's like the franchise model, right? But for a virtual brand, you don't have to do anything new. If you already have your restaurant, you kind of have the best of both both worlds is, is kind of what I'm gathering. But you know, my, my last big question really is, you know, for restaurants that are thinking of trying this or, or they're very curious about it because they've probably been hearing about it everywhere because it's it's a huge topic right now. What are some of like the key, you know, things to real like things to know about the virtual restaurants going into them? And like, what are the keys to success? Like, what are the most successful restaurants using Next Bites brands? Like, what are they doing to help with that success? You know, I, I think this is a, a, a deceivingly complicated business that, that we're in. Because um, it seems yeah. really simple to just spin up a menu and put it online, <laughs> and everyone thinks that they can, you know, easily replicate that or just like create their own version. But but I do think it, it is easy to underestimate the amount of effort that goes into uh, to the digital strategy and, and the whole marketing flywheel, and the technology. I think the technology is a bit really big component of this as well. If you try to just add a bunch of virtual restaurants on various platforms into your business without an underlying tech stack to manage it all. Um, you're now adding more tablets, more menus to manage, more reporting systems. Like it, the, the problem that I was describing earlier about how Cantor's had all the tablets and menus and devices becomes infinitely more complicated when you have five virtual brands running out of one kitchen. I think there, there's just a lot to, to think through on that side. And like, Right now, um, we recently announced our partnership with IHOP, where we're rolling out Very cool. two brands that we co-created with them across their entire system. One's a quesadilla brand, one is a, a grilled cheese concept. And I think what, what works really well about these, these concepts for, for IHOP's infrastructure specifically is that we, we leaned into to leveraging the crossover ingredients that were already, for the most part, in their kitchen. Um, we're not requiring IHOP to purchase a bunch of new SKUs and disrupt their supply chain and you know, have to have more freezer space or any, uh, right. any incremental equipment. We're, 
you know, we're really trying to, to lean into like as many crossover ingredients as possible to what was already on our existing menu and creating a fun new brand around that, which I think was a really, a much lighter lift for an organization to take on because they already had a lot of that stuff in place. So there's, there's a lot of best practices that I think as you start to get familiar with this and try your first few brands, um, you'll start to realize like, okay, there's some stuff that you definitely want to avoid. Expensive packaging is tough. Like if you have to carry a bunch of new boxes or you know that, that costs a lot of money, that's not good. You don't want to put any items on a virtual menu that have food costs that are too high or that perish quickly because you might not actually sell that much food every day. Yeah. So you want to stick to things that are kind of like easy to reproduce, lower amount of time spent to actually make the food. Um, so you can keep your delivery times low because that's a really big um, way to uh, maximize your your, your uh, storefront footprint on the on the delivery apps as well. So it's a lot of nuance to all of this. I, I can probably talk for hours <laughs> about all the different strategies that we've kind of learned over over the last few years. But there's there's just so much to, to consider in all of this. Absolutely. So I guess what uh, the big thing, the big takeaway seems to be don't bite off more you can chew and really think about the brands you're taking on in relation to what you're already doing. So if I'm a burger place, maybe I'm not taking on a taco virtual brand, but it may make sense to do grilled cheese because I already have the cheese and the, the bread and all of that stuff. So yeah, well, there is, there is a benefit to taking on a different category of food or different uh, genre, which is that you're reaching yeah. a totally different consumer base. Like we have right. we have a Mexican restaurant that's doing some of our wing brands right now and they love it because they're selling to a completely different demographic, single younger male audience in a college campus market on top of the families that they're serving in the restaurant. So they like that they get to reach a totally new consumer segment, even though they do now have to carry potentially a couple of different ingredients and SKUs, it's worth it for them because they're like, this is a way for us to reach a different type of customer. So. Yeah, which is kind of I think the whole the whole ethos behind everything, which is is maximizing what you can provide and and bringing in more options for yourself as a restaurateur. Yeah, especially for certain day parts. So if you're very busy for dinner, yeah. there are ways to light up your lunch order volume. If you're very busy for breakfast, it's a, there's a great opportunity to bring in brands that will perform well in the other parts of the day. So that that's a big component of all of this too. Absolutely, and I know we're almost at time here, but my my last real question is just you know I like to kind of get a little bit future focus towards the end and you know what, what are you excited about for the near future of, of restaurants and virtual restaurants and ghost kitchens and, and what what like what do you look forward to and, and what gets you excited this has been a really challenging year for restaurants in, in general a couple of years actually um of you know labor shortages food costs going up waves of uh, of covid making it really unpredictable to, to know how to properly staff and just a lot. It's been it's been an emotional roller coaster for restaurants. Yeah, I, I yeah. think it's uh, you know starting to stabilize and normalize a bit, which is which is a good thing overall for restaurants. It helps with better planning. But I, I do get really excited about the idea that like you know restaurants can be can be selling more food out of their kitchen, and I, I think virtual restaurants, the timing of it is just it's it's a really great um, moment in time for for restaurants to start to, to do more and, and create more output out of, out, of a, out of a fixed cost asset. So I love that we're actually like 
in a position to help restaurants unlock this and, and reach more customers outside of their four walls. And it's just something I'm extremely passionate about, um, something that I, I'm glad I get to be a part of. And, and the way that we measure success is our restaurant success. You know, if our restaurants aren't making money, we're not making money. Um, so our whole business model is, is based on this foundation of we're actually going to really bring meaningful incremental revenue to these to these kitchens. And I love that we're aligned in, in that sort of way. Very cool. So yeah, I mean, it's just like the, the amount of opportunity there is, you know, with tech to, to really improve the industry, I think it is, is really exciting. It's something we're excited here too. With Seven Shifts, completely different part of the restaurant world. But, you know, I think we're, we're pretty well aligned on that too. So with that, where can people find you and NextBite if they're interested in checking it out? Yeah, you can find us at nextbite.io. You can email me, alex at nextbite.io. We'll, we'll put you in touch with somebody and uh, help you help you get started. Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much. And you have an excellent rest of your day. Thank you. Great to, great to connect. Thanks. Thanks again for checking out the Restaurant Growth Podcast presented by Seven Shifts. We're so grateful to our listeners and we'd love to hear from all of you. Send us an email to podcast at sevenshifts.com and check us out on social. We're at Seven Shifts on all platforms. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and we'll see you next week.